I've been doing a series uh, called Back to Basics, and we're looking at the seven big themes that to an extent make Seventh-day Adventists somewhat unique, but um, also that are just foundational to our understanding of the Bible. So the first that I did was on scriptures. I did another one on um, Sabbath uh, just a few weeks ago. Last month, I did that one here. Um, I've done one on the sanctuary and the state of the dead. Um, I know Craig uh, told me he watched that one. Um, so I, I wanted to come back and talk today about a subject that's very relevant for our communion service, but also foundational to our understanding of the Bible. So today we're talking about the story of salvation. In early 2022, that's just a month and a half ago, I guess, is when it happened, the, a group of explorers found the, the most difficult ship to find. It was the Endurance. Um, have you heard of the Endurance? You might remember the story of Sir Ernest Shackleton. He was trying to get to the South Pole, but uh, Raoul Amundsen made it there before him in December 1911. And so he decided that he would change his focus, and instead of trying to get to the South Pole, he would try to cross the Antarctic from sea to sea, from one side to the other on foot. Sounds like a great idea, doesn't it? Anybody up for that? Just a little hike across the Antarctic, no big deal. Um, and so he got his crew together, and, and the ambitious idea became known as the Imperial Trans-Antarctic Expedition. Uh, he, he put together a crew of 27 members, and together they sailed for the Antarctic in this boat, the Endurance, uh, from a, a little place called South Georgia Island. Now, South Georgia Island is off the coast of South Africa. It's a tiny, tiny, tiny little place. It's, a, it's ocean until you zoom in really far on Google Maps. And, uh, and when you finally get there, it's just a, um, a few miles across or something like that. And it's this rocky, craggy, icy um, barrenness with a tiny whaling station on the north side. So they set off from South Georgia Island, going south to the Antarctic, and after a, a few days, they enter the, uh, the ring of pack ice that's around the Antarctic. And they, they kind of meander their way through the pack ice until uh, a, a southerly wind blew hard against the ice and pushed that pack ice up against the Antarctic coast smashing the endurance into the pack ice. And the pack ice, all packed together now, um, started to drift away from the Antarctic shelf. And they realized pretty soon that they weren't getting any closer to the Antarctic and they weren't going to be able to get out of this. Um, they, they decided early on that they would try to get to the Antarctic by foot just to see if they could get there. And they made one mile in a day. It took them an entire day because look at that. Can you imagine going up and down and over and around? It, it, it would take you a long time to get through that ice. And so they abandoned that idea fairly quickly. They set up camp outside of the endurance on the ice and uh, watched maybe disheartenedly as the ice began to swallow the endurance. Sir Ernest Shackleton said, that uh, 
the ice, what the ice takes, it keeps. In, on April 7, 1960, over a year after being trapped in the ice, they could see the snow-capped mountain peaks of Elephant Island. And Elephant Island is, um, it's actually a little bit closer to South Africa, kind of. Um, it's on the, the northern tip of uh, the Antarctic, just between the Arctic, the Antarctic and uh, South Africa. And uh, does that look like a, an exciting place to be? <laughs> Problem was that they, they were on the ice and being on the land was better than being on the ice, but things were warming up and the pack ice was starting to break up and now they didn't have a boat. And they knew that if they remained on the ice, they would pretty soon be um, in the water. And so they, they gathered their things they put it in the, the boats that they had taken off, the, the life rafts that they had taken off the endurance, and they began to row through, it wasn't calm like this, uh, the crazy wind-blown um, icy waters, and they began to row towards Elephant Island. Two days later, oh no, I'm sorry, six days later, they finally reached landfall. Six days of rowing. Have you ever rowed for an hour or two in a boat? Maybe five hours? No, I, I was with my wife and we rowed for six miles in a canoe. And it was just a tiny bit of a headwind, not a lot. And my arms were sore. And it was just maybe two hours that it took us to, to get that six miles. Can you imagine six days of rowing trying to get to land? And this is life or death rowing. If you don't row, you're going to die. Um, and about half the crew were either incapacitated because of uh, dysentery and seasickness, or they were basically insane because of lack of food and all the other problems that were going along with this. And so we only had half the crew that were capable of doing anything. And when they get to Elephant Island, it's not like life is better. It's just that they're not being tossed by the sea anymore. They still don't have food. They still don't have any hope of rescue. And their mission, completely out of the question. Think about this. Elephant Island, it's kind of among that pack ice. Ships don't go to Elephant Island. They just don't go there. And so there wasn't going to be any ship coming by to spot them. No smoke signals would get the over 800 miles um, between them and civilization. There is no hope of a rescue. And you might say very reasonably that their situation was hopeless. If somebody wasn't going to rescue them, then their situation was completely hopeless. And the truth is, so is ours. People want to think of themselves as basically good. You know, we have good intentions. We we try to do good for others. And I think what happens is we mistake God's enmity that he puts in our hearts, in everybody's heart. He, we mistake that enmity for innate goodness. And we assume that uh, if only given time or technology or opportunity or, or whatever the scenario is, we're just going to get better. I mean, give people a certain amount of money and uh, health care and, you know, make sure that the the um, environment doesn't fall apart on us, right? And, uh, and hopefully, we'll all kind of grow together to be more united and loving and kind. 
if we were all good, that might be the case, but there is no hope of a utopia because there is no solution for the problems of greed and lust and selfishness and all the other things that cause us to, to move towards evil. There is no hope. We're like on Elephant Island. Maybe something looks a little good, but, but it's really hopeless. Without a rescue, we are, are all moving towards death, an inevitable death. And, and here's what the problem is according to the Bible. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 says that our iniquities have separated us between, have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So the, the real problem isn't that we are evolving towards goodness and we just haven't arrived yet. The real problem is that we have separated ourselves from God. We have chosen to do life without God. And like those sailors that are trapped on Elephant Island, sick and dying, we're lost without any hope of saving ourselves. In Romans 7, verses 12 and 14, the Bible says that the law is holy and just. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. And it says we know that the law is spiritual, but then Paul says, I'm flesh, sold under sin. And in verse 24, chapter 7, he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me? That's the question that we all should be asking. Many of us aren't smart enough to actually pay attention to, to the inevitable um, death that we're facing. Um, but if you just take a moment to pay attention to your surroundings, you'll realize you need saving. And what the world doesn't often recognize is that the wages of sin is death. We try to ignore that. We try to say, well, you know, it's going to be all right. And we try to make up all these interesting ideas about what the afterlife might be. And, but the, the reality is without rescue, we can't save ourselves. We will all die. As they pulled their boats onto shore <laughs> with uh, the, the pounding surf um, out there and the ice all around them, a few seals that might be good for food. The, uh, the men, especially Sir Ernest Shackleton, recognized their need for saving. Now, maybe this doesn't quite match up with the story in the Bible of salvation, but it helps us to understand what's going on, I think. So Sir Ernest Shackleton sees that unless they make an attempt to find a, a rescue boat, no rescue boat's coming. And so he piles uh, five other men into this boat, this very boat. And they head for an 800-mile journey by rowboat over the open ocean with ice all around them and wind, the winter wind blowing. They head for the South Georgia Island. And their hope is that on South Georgia Island, they'll see some whaling ship come by and the whaling ship will rescue them and they'll be able to charter a boat and bring a boat back and rescue the rest of the 22 men that are sitting on Elephant Island waiting for a rescue ship. It was a long shot, 800 miles rowing. For them to make that journey would be a miracle. It was a long shot because if there was a, a whaling ship nearby was a big question mark. They didn't come by every day. And it was a long shot because could they get there and back before the 22 died? 
but he had to try something. And so they set out on this perilous journey. God had a similar problem. He created humans with all the love in his heart, but we snubbed our nose at him and rebelled and tried to do life without him. And he, he knew there was no way for us to live apart from him. And so he graciously extended us life with the hope that he would be able to provide some way of saving us, a rescue ship of sorts. Adam and Eve, and then Abraham, and then the Israelites all had a, a picture of what that rescue ship would look like. It was through the sacrificial service, the, the lamb that they, they sacrificed whenever they wanted to repent of their sins. And then one day, a guy named John the Baptist was standing on the Jordan River and he saw somebody walking in the distance and he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was that rescue ship. God came to rescue us through the form of Jesus. And Jesus described his mission in John 3, 16 and 17. You know this one well. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes on him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that in order that the world might be saved through him. Do you want a way out of the trouble that you're in? Do you recognize that you need saving? Uh, a solution to the problems that you face. Do you need to be rescued? In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And unfortunately, too many people think that God is angry and cruel and that we're in this situation like uh, these guys on Elephant Island were because God designed this situation for us. It was, it, we're, we're in this situation because God isn't very nice. Uh, but Jesus makes it clear that's not the case. We're in this situation because our own rebellion and God is doing everything in his power to help us. In Micah 7, 18, it says, who is a God like you pardoning iniquity? This is who God is passing over transgression. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. Kind of like a parent who sees their kid doing something that will hurt them, they get angry at the, the kid. You've never done this, have you? Where your kid is doing something that's about to harm them and you raise your voice as though you're angry with them and you tell them to stop and you're frustrated and maybe they stop and they're like, why are you mad at me? You're not mad at them. You're mad because you love them so much and what was gonna happen if you didn't step in was gonna be really bad for them. And that's the same situation that God has. He has anger because of sin, not because of you, but because the sin harms us so much. In fact, in Isaiah 53, five, he says, Jesus says, or it says that Jesus was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. God was so angry with the problem of sin and loved us so much that Jesus came to take our penalty, to fulfill the requirements of the law on our behalf so that we could be rescued. And in Romans 5, 8, it's, he says, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still in rebellion, Christ died for us. What would have happened if Shackleton had found that ship and returned, uh, but some of his men were like, you know what, that's, that's nice that you brought the ship and all, but I think I'm going to wait for the next one. 
<laughs> what, what would have Shackleton have done and said if they had said, you know what, I think we can do this original mission. I'm just waiting for the ice, and then I'm going to walk across the ice and get, get a, to the other side of the Antarctic. <laughs> well, what would he have done if they had said, thanks for the ship, but I think I'm a pretty good swimmer. I've got this. And yet that's often how we relate to God. When he extends grace and forgiveness and offers us his rescue, we look at it and we say, you know what, I think I've got this. I'll, I'll figure this out myself. If the men that Shackleton was trying to rescue had done that, they would have surely died. And the truth is that if we do anything but get on God's rescue ship, we're going to die too. So how can you be saved? How is it that we can be saved? The Bible talks about that getting on the boat idea as repentance. They use the word repentance. In fact, uh, Acts chapter 2, uh, the people had just called for Jesus' crucifixion. These are the people that crucified Jesus. And after about 50 days in Pentecost time, uh, that, that feast, there's all these people there again. And Peter is talking to them, and, they, and he says, you crucified the Son of God, the Messiah. And, he, and they said, men and brothers, what shall we do? I'm sorry, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter rep replied to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, it means to turn back. I'm rebelling against God. I'm doing my own thing. To repent means to turn to God and say, I accept your gift of salvation. I'll get on the boat you bring me. I'll let you rescue me. In her book, Steps to Christ, Ellen White says, there are many who fail to understand the true nature of repentance. Multitudes sorrow that they have sinned and even make an outward reformation because they fear that their wrongdoing will bring suffering upon themselves. But this is not repentance in the Bible sense. They lament the suffering rather than the sin. I don't want to be uncomfortable but they'd rather, be, they'd rather still be away from God, separated from God. I want to do my own thing, but I really don't want discomfort. That's not true repentance. True repentance says, I have done wrong, and we turn back to God. When the heart yields to the influence of the Spirit of God, the conscience will be quickened, and the sinner will discern something of the depth and sacredness of God's holy law, the foundation of his government in heaven and on earth. The light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world illuminates the secret chambers of the soul and the hidden things of darkness are made manifest. Conviction takes hold on the mind and heart and the sinner has a sense of the righteousness of Jehovah and feels the terror of appearing before him in his own guilt and uncleanness before the searcher of hearts. He sees the love of God, the beauty of holiness, the joy of purity, and he longs to be cleansed and to be restored to communion with heaven. That's what repentance is. I want to be cleansed. I want to be restored to communion with heaven. David demonstrated this kind of repentance in Psalm 51. And we'll just read a couple of verses here. David starts with this idea. He says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Do you see what he just said? He's not defending himself. He's not saying, well, I, you know, I, I was trying to do something good. No, he, he simply says, I have sinned against you, and you are blameless in, judgment, in judging me. 
Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. There's something about brokenness in repentance, a recognition that I'm, I, I need help. If we don't recognize that, then we won't be repentant. A repentance such as this is beyond the reach of our power to accomplish. It's only obtained through Christ because Christ promised that when he ascended from earth to heaven, that he gave gifts unto men, specifically the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts our hearts and draws us back to repentance. The promise is that if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Is God capable of saving you and me? Absolutely he is. He has the power to save. In trying to illustrate the strength of God's rescue boat of salvation, many like to tell you that once you've gotten on the boat, once you've repented and confessed that first time, that you can never get off the boat. But that's not the God that we find in the Bible. We don't find a God that traps us and imprisons us. We find a God that invites us and draws us and woos us. And Jesus says it this way in Matthew eleven twenty-eight: 28. Come to me, all who labor, and I will give you rest. Not I'll put you in a prison. I will give you rest. Jesus said in John 15, 4 and 5, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to accept the rescue boat and get on it, but we also need to stay there. We need to abide there. We need to make our home in that, in that salvation that God has offered us. There's no safety in stepping off the boat. Imagine that, that, that group of sailors getting on a rescue ship saying, thank you so much for rescuing me. And halfway to South Africa, they said, you know what? The, the water looks good. I think I can swim from here. They would still not make it. You got to take the boat all the way. And Jesus promises he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. As long as we stay in Jesus, there is no chance that we'll be lost. But if we choose to go back to our own way, there's no chance that we can be saved. We cannot save ourselves. Never could. Never will. Christ is the source of every right impulse. He is the only one who, that can implant in the heart enmity against sin. Every desire for truth and purity, every conviction of our own sinfulness is an evidence that his spirit is moving on our hearts. Can you imagine the joy of being saved from that frozen rock? Surely there would be joy if you knew you were saved. Surely if you give your heart to Jesus everything will be different, right? Except it's not always that way, is it? You give your heart to Christ and some anxiety comes back, some problem rises, and you wonder, is Jesus really with me? Does God really love me? Am I still saved? They don't feel whole. 
And so some people don't believe they are whole. In that book, Steps to Christ, Ellen White says this, do not wait to feel that you are made whole, but say, I believe it is so, not because I feel it, but because God has promised it. Jesus says, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. You don't need to wonder if that's true. Believe that it is true. Even if you don't feel it, even if you don't perceive it, God promises that he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Here's another promise in Romans 8.1. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you feel condemned, ashamed, burdened with guilt? God promises there is no condemnation in his heart. He simply says, I brought the boat. And it was at great cost that I brought this boat. And it's all for you. Get on board. I don't condemn you. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, and Peter says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like money, gold, and silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Christ has given everything for you. Don't draw back now. Don't say, oh, I'm not worthy. He doesn't love me. Simply say, I have given myself to Christ. I am his and he is mine. In Isaiah 44, 22, he says, I've blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you, he says. In Jeremiah 31, 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. These are rich promises that we can rely on. We don't have to wonder if we're saved. We can have assurance, not because we have anything in ourselves that makes us worthy of salvation, but because Christ has given everything for us. Because of his great love, we can have assurance of his salvation. Let's look back at that rocky island there and Shackleton's small crew that set out on that 800-mile journey. It took them 16 days to battle the waves and get to um, South Georgia Island. 16 days. And this is what Shackleton wrote about that time. He says, the wind simply shrieked as it tore the tops of the waves down into the valleys, up the tossing heights, straining until her seams opened, swung our little boat. 16 days. You thought six days was a bad idea. 16 days of pushing and pushing and pushing and all six of those men pushing hard until they finally got to South Georgia Island. And the wind pushed them off course and they landed on the wrong side of South Georgia Island. The whaling station was on the other side. And so what they had to do, two or three of them, I forget how many, a couple of them, Shackleton was one, um, got out having not slept basically for 16 days and they, they started climbing the mountain and up the, the, the craggy mountains and down the... the the icy shelves, and finally, 31 hours later, they arrived at the, at the whaling station. I can't imagine the cost uh, to, to these per people's bodies trying to save those 22 people back on Elephant Island. They reached 
the other side miraculously, I'm sorry, it's 36 hours, not 31. Uh, any, one way or the other, it's a long time. But finally they reached the other side of the whaling station and they found that there was a whaling ship there, miraculously. And they came from the wrong direction into camp and everybody was like, who are you? Where'd you come from? And uh, he told them their story. They went around and picked up the rest of the crew and the whaling ship brought them back to South Africa where er, uh, Ernest Shackleton began to try to charter a ship. The first ship that he got was a steamboat with the paddles and stuff. And it ran out of fuel, dangerously low, I should say, of fuel about 100 miles from Elephant Island. Had to turn back or they would have been lost at sea. So then um, there was uh, another attempt. He found another boat from, uh, oh, I forget who it was. Somebody gave him a boat and allowed him to go. Uh, and, and again, they got fairly close, but for some various reasons had to turn back. And the second attempt failed. And while he's weeks in the attempt at bringing a boat back, the captain of the Endurance was back on Elephant Island. And on Elephant Island, he kept telling the men every single morning that they would get up, he would, he would say, lash up and stow your belongings. The boss may come today. He kept hope alive, reminding them that Ernest Shackleton was going to come home, or he was going to come and, and rescue them. Lash up and stow your belongings. The boss may come today. For his third attempt, Shackleton procured a ship from Chile and headed to Elephant Island for the third time. And finally, on August 30, 1916, as the men were settling down to a lunch of boiled seal's backbone, they saw a rescue ship coming into view. Within an hour of arriving, they had broken camp and were on the boat. You don't wait when the rescue boat comes. You just get on. And every single member of the endurance was saved alive. In Ezekiel 18.32, God says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. That word turn is repent. So repent and live, he says. Jesus went through great trial to achieve our salvation. There was no effort spared. No expense was withheld in pursuing our re rescue. And the same was true for Shackleton. And now let me ask you, did, did Shackleton, when he got to Elephant Island, charge admittance? Did he say, you can get on, but you have to pay me a certain amount of money? No, he didn't do that. He poured out everything, every resource he could find so that he could save these men. And it wasn't for money. It was for love of his crew. God doesn't charge us anything either. In Isaiah 55, he says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Incline your ear to me. Come to me here that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love. Without money, without price, come. I've given everything to rescue you. There is a terrible danger, a danger not sufficiently understood in delaying to yield to the pleading voice of God's Holy Spirit. 
in choosing to live in sin, for that's what delay really is. Sin, however small it may be esteemed, can be indulged only at the peril of infinite loss. You cannot eat your boiled seal backbone and get on the ship at the same time. You got to leave it behind in order to follow Jesus. You can't stay on the island and wait for another ship. There's only one way that we can be saved. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Say, yes, I will get on the boat, Jesus. I will accept your salvation. And maybe for most of you in the room, I I think it's probably an opportunity now for a recommitment of your life to Christ. You're, You're abiding on that rescue ship of salvation. And it's just a reminder to say, this is precious. And I will stay here until Jesus brings me home. But maybe there's somebody here that is, for the first time, thinking about this idea of salvation. Maybe one of you young children are saying, Jesus wants to save me. And I'd like to invite you to say yes to Jesus today. To say, I want you to be my Redeemer, my Savior. And Jesus promises us that it's not the end. Getting on the boat isn't the end. Ernest Shackleton ended up taking those men all the way back to South Africa and then to their various homes they were able to be reunited with their family. We've been separated from God because of sin. Our sins have separated him from us. And Jesus' boat of rescue is a rescue ship that brings us back to God. We get to live with him. Jesus said in in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. His rescue ship promises us to be reunited with the family of God. And so for for our time now, as we wait, we need to be peddlers of hope, much like the captain of the endurance was when he said, lash up and stow your, your spiritual riches, you might say, because the boss may be coming today. And Jesus himself said in Revelation 22, behold, I come quickly. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hmm. Hope. Hope. Our lives are intended to be filled with hope. Assurance that God is powerful to save and hope that he will come sometime very soon to take us home with him. And I'd like to say with John, come Lord Jesus. Would you like to say that with me today? We're going to be doing a 